Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. In this episode, I'm going to be kind of asking the question, will Beyond Light be too small? If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, or any of the podcast platforms, you can always catch me live at sntrlive.com. If you'd rather have all my content in one location, go to sntrnetwork.com. sntrnetwork.com has all my shows, The Rageous Roundtable, Repeat Theater, and SNTR Presents. It also has a schedule. Every video hits there. This channel's purely live now, so if you go to sntrlive.com, That YouTube channel doesn't get the uploads anymore, just the live content. So I made a video talking about, you know, Beyond Light's going to be smaller than Forsaken. So some of the information on the screen is going to look familiar if you watch that video. But I wanted to give the live audience the opportunity to kind of bat this ball around because Luke Smith does this interview on the other platform. And he makes it clear that Beyond Light is going to be smaller than Forsaken. So this is starting a huge conversation in the community now, like why would we be paying more if we're getting less? You know, we're going to be paying this $50 price point for Beyond Light and actually get less. First, I want to just establish what he said, because I think that's important. I'm not going to repeat everything from the other video, though. He essentially said that with Activision, they had double the development that they have now, and so Beyond Light's going to be smaller than Forsaken, but larger than Shadowkeep. What I want to do is talk about why the comparison to Forsaken is breaking down a little bit. Number one, the Baron fights may be part of the size comparison, since there's only four lieutenants that are with Aramis in the Beyond Light campaign. Secondly, the season pass is basically a part of this conversation. If we were just purely comparing Beyond Light to Forsaken, you could say, why am I spending the same price? It's 40 and Forsaken was 40. Why am I spending the same price for something that you just told me is smaller? I don't necessarily think games are typically priced that way because the Taken King was smaller than Forsaken. So should have Forsaken have been 50 or $60 since it was larger than the Taken King? We don't really apply this type of logic to expansions where we're going to get out some sort of digital measuring tape and say, well, it's this big and therefore it should be $43 or $35. Like That's just not really how it works. So I think if you compare... Forsaken and Beyond Light and what we know so far, I don't really see them be there being this massive problem with the $40 price point because in essence it looks like we're getting roughly the same amount of content. I know Luke Smith's saying it's smaller, but I don't think we need to completely lose our hat over this. Number one, the Baron fights were not really repeatable and they had no loot attached to them. The loot grind, the, the content loop of the Dreaming City was pretty cool, but it was really busted apart. You had no directional way to get any of the loot. They've really, really improved that element, maybe, maybe too much with the transactional loot of year three. I think we've been far, far too much in control of how often we get stuff and how we get it you know getting six weapons in the tower is a bit much so i will say that if the quality goes up with the quantity going down you're still getting a really good value transmission they could shrink the game in size but give you better quality there were plenty of things about forsaken that i found to be pretty unappealing with respect to the actual content loop and the quality and the depth of what we got so just having more quantity is not always a sign that you're getting more value The other thing I want to really talk about is the season pass. The season pass is $10, and that's where a lot of folks are kind of throwing that in and saying, we're essentially paying $50 and beyond, uh, and Forsaken was $40. So it's a $10, you know, it's a $10 price point increase. I would say you need to remember something. Forsaken did not have a season pass. It didn't have a season pass with an armor set, an ornamental armor set, exotic ornaments, a sparrow, a shader, 
I'm not not a shader, I'm sorry, a sparrow, a ship, or a ghost, ornaments for your weapons. There are so many decorative cosmetic things in the season pass that you get that ordinarily would be in the Eververse, and that's part of that $10 value. The other thing you're getting with Season of the Hunt is a side campaign and a side activity. Forsaken didn't have that. There was no side campaign, side story, anything. They called it Season of the Outlaw, but Season of the Outlaw basically pertains to what you were doing in the campaign of Forsaken, and there was nothing extra. So for me, the $10 value transmission is there. You spend the $10, and you basically get a $10 side thing attached, right? I am not defending this to, to, to the point of absurdity though I think it's fine for people to ask questions about the expansion since it is being described as smaller one of my main questions up to now has consistently been what is the content loop going to look like what am I going to be doing what can I be possibly chasing because the content loop in Forsaken I think left something to be desired for I didn't actually like the fact that they broke everything apart because the blind well and the ascendant challenges and the bounties and everything you did on the dreaming city it was this big long daisy chain of activities to get like a couple of drops it didn't feel like a very good well organized or rewarding content loop and within the realm of asking the question like what's the content loop going to be like i think the vendor refresh criticism is a totally fair one to make now i'm not again i'm not going to repeat myself from my other video i'm going to be a little bit critical here The fact that we've waited all this time and haven't seen almost any semblance of a vendor refresh and we're finally on the cusp of an expansion and he's like, we're doing an armor refresh in Season of the Hunt. Well, I mean, that gives me a little bit of hope. Maybe they'll do some more refreshes in the other seasons since they're just doing the armor. But it kind of blows my mind. What have you guys been doing all this time? Is there nobody? Is there no team? There's nobody at that company that you can task to make some loot for the vendors for you know for them and since we already know from the TWAB I'm going to kind of grab from another source of information here they're not really doing anything significant with the bounties either the bounty quality is terrible they're not shared you're competing with other people they're way too specific and so the bounty changes are almost non-existent in beyond light it's what have you guys been doing now I will leave room for the fact that they diverted from a plan that was going to lead to D3. That's something people have been saying, oh, it looks like they shouldn't have left Activision. It looks like they shouldn't have left Activision. You have to understand something. Activision would have been pushing for D3 to launch a month ago, and that would have been terrible for the franchise. So going back to Activision is not the solution here. It might seem that way, because you're like, well, he said when they were with Activision, that's how we got Forsaken, and that year was pretty awesome. Well... I don't necessarily think you understand the grand trajectory that would have put the game on. If you think that, we'd be staring down the barrel of another, like, very, very subpar franchise reset and and sequel launch that would not have been good. I don't think that would have been good, and I don't think you'd be like, yay, I'm glad they sucked with Activision. So I can leave room for the fact that they diverted their entire strategy and they've had to rebuild portions of the game for all these quality improvements they've talked about, right? Shrinking the pipeline for updates, adding all these nice upgrades to how the game looks for next gen, changing scripting so the game feels better and looks better and subclasses and all this stuff that they're adding. 
I can leave room to say, okay, you guys really didn't want to focus on something that wouldn't feel new. I think that's something we need to remember, is that if Bungie puts a bunch of focus on the vendors and the strikes and Gambit and Crucible, folks would say, wait a minute, I'm spending $40 and all you're doing is just throwing loot and new things into old jars into old can- you know containers and people would potentially complain about that so i'm willing to leave a little bit of room here that okay maybe that wasn't the right focus for an expansion but i'm really looking for some form of a vendor uptick or refresh or as he said in his director's cut some form of reinvigoration uh in the in the seasons to follow and then we've got you know the good information about transmog so just to restate it in case you missed the other video you can freely dismantle all of your armor now you know avenger picked out a statement from the from the from the the live stream that i don't know if we necessarily need to strain this thing rigidly because he said you know armor that it applies to or whatever so but the the cms are doubling down the cms are doubling down and they're saying you can dismantle all of your armor you can get rid of everything you own so i don't know he may have just said that on the stream is just like a yeah whatever you know because he ironically enough he seemed like he didn't know uh enough (laughs) he seemed a little disconnected it was kind of like uh i don't actually know the answer to that he didn't know the names of the subclasses that were caught you know uh you know uh, that were the, the names of them or whatever and i guess that the twab said something similar like armor that is eligible i have no idea what that means the fact that they're telling everybody to delete their armor i don't think you have to worry about it i mean if 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 there's specific armor that it doesn't apply to i kind of feel like they would maybe say that to us maybe they're saying armor that is eligible because of the adept armor that may be on the way with intrinsic shaders and stuff like that maybe they're doing something with the trials armor in the future that would prevent you from being able to transmog it um because it says right here it says you know dylan's tweet says you don't need to have armor pieces in your vault when transmog goes live for them to be eligible collections based free up some vault space so he's even clarifying what you mean like eligibility he's like it just it's all in the collections so if they're in the collections you're good to go you can actually delete your armor so by and large i think the discussion about it being too small or good or worth the price or whatever we're not truly going to know until we're in the content and can kind of weigh out what the loop looks like replayability and then that's where the true value transmission typically is anyway as you play day to day and week to week so even if the campaign is smaller and some of the spaces might be smaller that's not necessarily going to hinder our week to week and month to month experience in beyond light as always, we're going to go to like a Q&A and VIP. We'll do that a little bit later. I'm recording this right before the Razor's Roundtable. So if you're listening elsewhere, you can always come watch live, sntrlive.com, or go to sntrnetwork.com for all my content in one location. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be the Q&A session that followed my talk about Will Beyond Light Be Too Small? If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or any of the podcast platforms, you can always catch me live at sntrlive.com. I stream Monday through Friday, and uh, sntrlive.com will bring you there. If you want all my content in one location, schedules, the highlights, the video breakouts, go to sntrnetwork.com. SNTRnetwork.com has the Rageous Roundtable, Repeat Theater, and SNTR Presents. So the first question coming in from Gilly in the Mist says, Do you believe Beyond Light plus Season of the Hunt can make up the price point in terms of gameplay quality versus quantity? What things are you looking for? 
to make the price point worth it. Well, I mean, we talked about this before the Rageous Roundtable, and I said that we have to remember the $10 for Season of the Hunt comes with a, a side campaign and a side activity. And if that activity is grindable with loot, then that already sets it apart in many respects, I think, from Forsaken. Forsaken really didn't have like a side activity you could grind. Now, you could do all the things on the Dreaming City to get powerfuls, but it wasn't like a loopable activity grind. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like a you, you did the blind well as part of a long list of things to do, as opposed to it being sort of its own thing. I would even attribute... Maybe not a tribute. I would compare that to what we're doing this uh, this season. You do contact public event, then you do something else, then you do something else, and then you end up in the interference mission. And I, I don't think that format's bad, but I just like having like a, I really like having something like the Black Armory Forges, or something like Menagerie, where you sort of spend your time there. And you sort of loop it. And then when you're done, you know, you move on to something else or have it rotate. And so when I look at, you know, Season of the Hunt, that's kind of my hope for what we're seeing. We're seeing the the content loop is going to be centered around these Wrathborn hunts. And then there's a campaign to kind of kick it off with Aldrin as, as Crow now and Osiris and Spider. And, and there's speculation about it having matchmaking because the one place that we saw them doing it is in a place up in the Dreaming City where it won't put people in your instance. So it might be like the Forges where you kind of drive back to the area, hit the button, and then it puts you in an instance with other people. So that to me makes it stand apart a little bit from Forsaken. The other conversation at play here is quantity versus quality. And I I do think Forsaken brought a lot of quantity. There was a ton of Barons. I don't know what the total count was, but in Beyond Light, there's four lieutenants, and we don't know what sort of content loop those lieutenants would bring. But my hope would be that, yes, that that's where they could invest in the quality. Okay, you're not going to get a bunch of Baron fights that is, that's smaller, lower in quantity, with an increased quality on the gameplay loop front, because you couldn't really do much with the Baron fights after, after you're done. It was six Barons' adventures. Okay, so six Barons' adventures, and then the Fanatic ends up in a strike. So, I that that's just kind of where I land on it. Is I'm I'm not saying they're going to. I'm not saying they're going to do it that way. But that's that's one place where I, if I was Bungie, I'd set my sights on saying. And and I'm not trying to sit here and rewrite history and act like Forsaken wasn't good. It was good. But there were a lot of aspects to Forsaken that lacked on a sort of a, 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 per, a perpetual loot pursuit or content loot. Um, and, you know, oh, I have the date wrong. I forgot to change that. That's right. <laughs> That's one new thing to add to my uh, my routine. Um so yeah, I, I think that I, I do think that there's a chance for quality to go up above the quantity. Now, I'm not going to say that it is going to happen or that they've said anything that gives me that confidence. You know, they're really letting us discover a lot about Beyond Light on our own. Luke Smith has been very, very, uh, not just Luke Smith, I'm sorry, Bungie has been very, very tight-lipped. And, you know, Luke Smith gave the analogy of, you know, wrapping a present and then you, you wrap it, you don't just set it on the counter. And in his mind, that's that's a better approach. And 
I think there's pluses and minuses to both. Uh, giving people an idea of what's coming, giving people a better picture of what the content loop will look like. I've been very consistent. I'm not just now saying this. I've continued to say, I don't need this enormous list and pictures of everything. When people ask me, you know, Lona, what do you want to see in the vid doc? I said, I want to get a picture of what Beyond Light in year four is going to feel like. And that's exactly what I was looking for is content loop. I want to know what the game is going to feel like. And right now, we don't have that picture. And I think that that picture is one that is desired because year three with Shadowkeep wasn't just about playing more Destiny. It was about adding systems and making improvements and the community saying, man, I would I would like to... Uh, I would like to see some of these improvements you know, happen and, and some of these things change. And so that's why we're all waiting for that that director's cut vibe talk from Luke Smith. Because I'll be honest, I'll be honest. When I kind of stop the critical thinking part of my brain and I stop thinking like, I need answers, I need answers, I need answers. I think Beyond Light and Season of the Hunt looks pretty good. It does, I think it looks pretty good. I'm like, this looks like a pretty good expansion. But some of us are just looking for more than just a good expansion with good marketing. Rhino Gaming coming in with a brand new membership. Thank you so much. Enjoy the dope badge and emotes. Your dope and deserve dope stuff. And be sure to connect with our Discord server. You get uh, perks in there as well. There's an audio version of this stream all day long in there. I'm in a voice chat for uh, paying members. And some different chat rooms and things that you get access to as a member on YouTube or Patreon. Yixel coming in with the next question says... With Luke Smith saying that it's difficult for Bungie to create forsaken size expansions due to budget and time constraints, how does it make you feel about the other two upcoming DLCs knowing that the chances of them being the same size or bigger than forsaken seems slim? I don't want to draw this conclusion yet because they he mentioned in the vid doc he they you know he he mentions in the in the vid doc about expanding and hiring more people. And so that's that's what kind of always been our question. Okay, you lost Vicarious Visions, you lost High Moon Studios. Can you make enough money to to to, to hire to, to to hire some of this out and to you know expand some of your departments? Is that even in the cards? And there there are more barriers there, I think, than just making money and being a successful company. There are the barriers of you've got to train anybody that comes in. You have all your dev tools, your engine. They just made all these changes to the engine. They've rebuilt aspects of the game, parts of the game. They've moved some scripts around. So it's not as simple as like, oh, just hire people out there. There's developers waiting in the wings to come and and build things for Destiny. And I think that that's just always going to sort of be the question if they expand, how quickly can they do it? And how quickly would we feel the benefits of them expanding? Because th- they could expand an entire department and we have no idea. We never see the net benefit. The net benefit on their end is they're able to, you know, they're able to push out patches and updates sooner. And you're not necessarily going to see or feel that. I mean, you might say, oh, wow, they said that, you know, patching was going to be quicker and it is quicker this year. I mean, they could add a department that enables them to do more strikes do more do more weapons do you know do more testing or whatever and i i think it's one of those things one of those things where the the real challenge would be 
expanding efficiently and expanding in a way where we feel it I don't know that to me is always going to be the question because we know it's it's easy to see the net loss when you lose vicarious visions that was literally a company making content for them they made Warmind, they made escalation protocol they made season of opulence i mean you you feel that loss it's i think it's har- harder to feel any expanding that they tried to do i think that's harder to to, to transmit to us um Victor says, we are getting a new download of the game, new coding. Recently, Bungie's embraced the secrets for their seasons, and Stasis can get more aspects throughout year four. Right, and those are just a lot of unknowns. Those are a lot of unknowns, and I think it's fair for for people to say, you know, that's not good enough. You know, that's just not good enough. And I think that's fair. They expanded the weather effects department. Don't you see the benefits of the game? (laughs) Right, I mean... I I think that is one of the challenges that they're always going to maybe face too is their engines old and their techs probably you know how many people are running around coming out of you know dev game design degrees and dev you know they're getting degrees in game development (laughs) how many of them are getting trained in tiger I'd be curious I think most people probably are going to be familiar with like unreal uh, maybe what well, the cry uh, the cry engine or something. I you see what I'm saying? I don't know. Like that that might be part of the problem too. Is you can only expand so far before you're going to run into people that have no idea how to interact with your dev tools and your and your engine, and they need to be trained. So the fact that he said that in the vid doc that they want to expand, they want to hire more people. I I, I find that to be encouraging. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wave a flag in the air and throw a parade and be like, oh yeah, dude, we're gonna get so much content in Witch Queen now. Luke Smith said they're hiring. <laughs> you know. Strider with the next question. I just want some balance for bounties. D1 wasn't worth doing, and there's still too much emphasis on them in D2. Thoughts? Th- yeah, this this is gonna be a video because I'm kind of th- this was the one part of the TWAB that actually kind of ticked me off. I. I never want to be that guy that says, dude, th- this is so easy. Why don't they freaking do this? I, n- I never, ever want to be that guy that acts like something super easy. But for Pete's sakes, you don't have a team that over the last 12 months could have been tasked with f- making bounties less awful. Like, how how, how is that not a thing? I, I that I, tr- truly truly it's it's bewildering I, are bounties that complex you had shared bounties in guardian games one of the worst events in the history of the game probably the worst event in the history of the game was guardian games and you had bounties that were fire team shared can you can, can we please can we please have shared bounties that are far more generic get rapid kills with your primary critical kills with your primary kills without reloading you see what I'm saying stop making me switch from a sidearm to a scout to a pulse to a sniper to a this to a that to a this to a that to a this nobody wants to do that all they did with the bounties was lower their XP payout they're going to be just as tedious and just as stupid and now they're going to give you less XP what weren't they supposed to balance that with activity XP? Now they did say they did say to their credit 
that the final TWAB is going to address some patch notes. So it 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 could be it could be that they're they're going to they're going to have a patch note about like XP payout and activities is going up. I mean that's that's possible. What did you miss? Luke Smith did an interview where he said that Beyond Light's going to be smaller than Forsaken, and a lot of people are worried that's going to make the it's going to be too small because you know in a lot of people's minds Forsaken's like the best expansion in D two. So I don't know when I when I look at this, that's the first thing I think of is man, oh man, you you couldn't find a team to to change bounties, and all you did was tweak the XP payout. That's that's nothing. You're you're changing a, a number. You're changing an XP number. That 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 couldn't have taken any time. Don't tell me in the beginning of this year that you're going to focus on bounties and the XP distribution in their focus and then you do virtually nothing to them. So, I mean, CJ Bulldogs is making a good point that really, I think, solidifies the quality over quantity. Discussion. Taking King was smaller than Forsaken and amazing. Right. You, Exactly. Exactly. You could you could easily say that Forsaken, you know, compared to Taking King, they were equal in some respects because Taking King was so good that the size wasn't really what was important. Aren't they moving stuff after release? Yeah, I don't know. Agent Atwood is begging for a thousand likes, or if we're close to rolling over to a thousand likes, smashing the like button is free, guys, and it helps this video get recommended throughout the day. Thank you so much for anybody clicking like or subscribe. This platform is different than the other platform I used to be on. It is free to subscribe here. If you click the join button, that's a separate button. That's the paid memberships. Forsaken did not have a season pass, no. If Forsaken didn't have the Dreaming City, we wouldn't praise it as we do today. I can see the argument that if we only got Dreaming City, we would praise Forsaken as much as we do today. And maybe... Gilly in the midst with another question here. Now that we are two years out and have seen what Bungie can do without Activision, can we look back and say the separation was a good thing? It seems like we have lost all the good, High Moon and Vicarious, and buttloads of money, and we've kept all the bad. Delays, unwanted back end, uh, unwanted backend changes, and not enough content. I actually strongly disagree with this sentimentality because I think it's far too simplistic and it ignores a glaring flaw in the thought process. If Activision was still around, they were pushing for a D3. Do you honestly think, in light of what Luke Smith has said, do you think VV and High Moon would have been enough to have a, to, to launch a fully-fledged game right now? I... I really don't think so, dude. I really, really don't think so. A D3 in this... Also, there was no way to foresee what happened this year with having to do work from home and all of that. But still, I I cannot see... VV helped, right? They helped. They built Opulence. High Moon apparently be, built the Tangled Shore. Why a D3? It was in the contract. Activision... Activision would have been pushing for a sequel. Why is D3 a bad thing? I don't understand. All right, track with me here. Track with me here. Luke Smith basically said 
because they no longer had VV and High Moon, this was going to be smaller than Forsaken. Ergo, the biggest thing we could have gotten with both VV and High Moon Studios and Activision still in the picture was something the size of Forsaken. If that amount of bandwidth resulted in Forsaken, is Forsaken big enough to be a brand new game? Do the math. Really crunch what I just said and really think about it. Get those wheels turning. He essentially said if we if we would have had VV and High Moon, we could have made something as big as Forsaken. Is that big enough to be a new game? No, it's not. This is why they broke up from Activision. They're like, there's no way we're going to launch a new game in 2020. It's going to be another mess. It's not going to be good. It's going to be too small, too thin, too, too busted. A D3 would have been horrible. D3 would mean you lose everything. They talked about that in that one video. The only way they would have been able to do a D3 was for D2 to go dark. Cease all production of D2, stop supporting it, move all resources, move all production, move all staff to D3. And if they would have done that, the, the biggest we would have been able to get would have been something around Forsaken size or maybe a little bit larger. If they would have, they, I guess it would have pumped all the brakes on the Shadow Keep year. It would have been a flat tire. You'd have put, put us right back into a Destiny 2 year one debacle, as, as Reaper is saying. You lose all the quality of life improvements we made. Do you want to know why Rise of Iron and Age of Triumph seemed like the golden age, and then we get into D2 and it feels like we lost all that progress? It's because development has to start so early, and it's never a clean handoff, because one is upgrading itself and improving itself while the other's being built. So, if you think that Activision, being with Activision, would have put us into a better boat right now, I just think you're absolutely living in a dream world. You're just, you're thinking that like, oh no, it'd be so much better. Activision would not have let them do a Forsaken 2.0. Right? I will agree with this premise. If they were still with Activision and Activision allowed them to treat Beyond Light like Forsaken 2.0, like another great expansion and another great seasonal format, you're right. Yes, being with Activision would be awesome right now if they would have let Bungie do that. They weren't going to. They weren't happy with the profits of D2 Vanilla. They weren't happy with everything after Forsaken. They drug Bungie publicly on a call about their about their satisfaction with how well it had been selling. I remember that during Black Armory. Activision won the third game in the in this year. And it was going to be the death of the franchise. It was. I think it was going to be the death of the franchise. So this idea, this idea that like we were, if we somehow would have stayed with Activision, because Luke Smith concedes that like when they had Activision, Forsaken was really, really big. I, I just, I think we're you're misreading the cards. You are misreading the cards here. Maybe not a great D3 launch, but going forward, Destiny expansions could have been more robust. No, I don't agree with that. I think people would have been like, here we go again, another bumbled launch. Another another failure. Why doesn't everyone why does everyone pretend that there weren't other issues between Activision and Bungie 2? Yeah, I don't know what else could have been going on. We don't have all the facts, you know. So, Poet Anderson, 
It seems as though people always want Bungie to be open and honest, but when they are, it seems as though people want to complain about it. How can Bungie escape the uh, danged if you do, danged if you don't? This is exactly the right question to ask right now, right? It, it, uh, it... Bungie was not happy about Golden Gun and Titan Slam ending up in a Call of Duty title. Oh, I never th- considered that. Um, this is a great question to ask. It really is. This is one of the reasons why um, Avenger is uh, a, a, a consistent call-in on VIPs, and he just community co-hosts the Rageless Roundtable today, and he is always banging on the drum of more communication, more communication. And I've always pushed back a little bit on his um, his sentimentality, and have said that sometimes companies don't want to have tons of transparency. They're afraid to talk to the community because the community is going to run with what they say and twist it and flip it around on its head. And anytime Bungie has struggled to do something or had a hard time with something, there have been people that take up that moniker and they're like, well, just tell us. Just tell us why this didn't happen or this is slow. Tell us why. And I'm like, if Bungie were to come out and say that, people flip that around as you're just making excuses. You're just doing damage control or or you're just you're just telling us that you that it's too hard. You guys you guys can't figure it out. And it's like, so Luke Smith is candid and is set and transparent and says, yeah, you know, we don't have Activision. We don't have the development power that we used to have. So this is going to be smaller than Forsaken. And everyone's like, what? And everybody gets very angry and they're like, are you just trying to make excuses? Or are you just trying to excuse the fact that like this isn't going to be as good? I thought you were supposed to take, you know, I thought you were supposed to, you know, uh, break from Activision. This is supposed to be this amazing time. And it's like, uh, they're, they're being honest. They're like, yeah, we broke so that we could have control over the franchise. That's why they broke from Activision. They want to have that freedom. They're in control of the franchise now. That's what they wanted. That doesn't mean that like, oh, we break from Activision and now we can make way more content. That's not, that's a non sequitur. It does not follow logically to break from Activision, lose developmental bandwidth, and what, you somehow thought we were going to get something bigger than Forsaken? Or the same size as Forsaken? Do you think, you think you're ever going to have a season like Opulence? No, probably not probably not the logical progression here is they broke with Activision because they wanted to have control of the franchise they wanted that freedom and the net benefit is quality and changes that they're in control of and yet quantity might go down a bit we might get less stuff I you know what I'm saying so why do they keep charging like they are I mean, they charge you less for Shadowkeep because Shadowkeep was a Rise of Iron Size DLC expansion and Beyond Light is 40 because it's larger than Shadowkeep and smaller than Beyond Light. Taken King was 40 and Taken King was smaller than Be- uh, than Forsaken. And then $10 for the season. We never had $10 seasons back then. It's its own thing. It's its own contained value point. It's not has nothing to do with the expansion. Now that I know what the ten dollars is, what, what I'm getting for the season, I don't care about that anymore. Do you see? 
they're not going to just suddenly gut the pricing structure of the game because oh it's smaller than Forsaken clap for you now that we know the expansion is not the size of Forsaken plus all the information we've received thus far do you tend to lead towards 30 and so gaming a theory that Bungie's formula will never change going forward um I don't necessarily know if um that this is like the formula going forward I think Mike was highlighting Bungie is going to continue to focus maybe even focus more of their resources and their energy on the 80% the more casual players I think that was the point Mike was making I don't think he was saying long term the formula going forward is that that's all they're going to do they're never going to focus on hardcores I mean if you think about it from percentage points they're focusing on the 10 to 20% with about 10 to 20%. You know what I'm saying? We get a raid, we get a dungeon, we get this, we get that. You know, 10 to 20% of the content delivery is for roughly 10 to 20% of the community. Like, it kind of lines up. And the more broad and the more the more ease of reach the content is, you know, the more it's geared towards the, the rest of the community. I think, I think, to a certain degree, I think some people were kind of misunderstanding his point. Number one, Mike wasn't saying he wants that to be the way Destiny goes. He was simply saying, this is the this is what they're doing. They're focusing more on casual players. Now, more is subjective, more than what? I you know what I'm saying? I think when he's saying that, a lot of a lot of the comparison that would make it like the easiest to make would be they're focused on casual players a whole lot more than they did in Destiny 1. Taken King and the April update and Age of Triumph, none of that was appealing to a casual. You think a casual player gave a rip about Age of Triumph? It was nothing but raids. It was nothing but raids. The best way to tip me and I get the most of it, use the tip command, exclamation point tip, and just use that link. So, I, you know, I don't think they've even fully landed on the formula yet. Until I see, until I see what they do with raids, Grandmaster Nightfalls, dungeons, etc., we need to get at least a full one or two seasons in and ask the question Have they fed the endgame players enough? I think that's the ultimate question. Have they fed the endgame players enough? And, and that's subjective, that's opinion laden, we don't really know what enough means, but this is one of the reasons why I think we tend to overemphasize certain aspects of the game so in year 3 with respect to feeding hardcore players, you got a raid, you got a dungeon you got two exotics that were only obtainable through the raid in the dungeon, the divinity and the xenophage you got grandmaster nightfalls you got multiple levels of difficulty in nightmare hunts that went all the way up to supreme mods and there was time trials and 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 an emblem for running the nightmare hunts on the hardest difficulty and hitting the time trials and you got grandmasters later and then you got a dungeon in the summer to try to claim that in year three they didn't give anything to hardcore players is just not accurate it's not accurate now 30 wasn't saying that on the podcast but I think sometimes people in chat and win these discussions they make it sound like the hardcore players got completely starved in year 3 and I'm like 
No, that just isn't true. Yeah, Trials was meant to be for the hardcore players. Trials just had, you know, got overrun with cheaters and the loot logistics they got all wrong. But Trials essentially was another sort of hardcore player grind or hardcore player activity they they tried to put into the game. So, I, I don't know. I, to, to act like, oh man, the hardcore players got starved in year three, I just think you're getting a lower portion of the meal because, number one, that's the way the game is structured. There's always less stuff at the top. There's always less content at the top. And there's less of us anyway. Sigmund, do you think this is, there's, there's a chance that reinvigorated already exists locations... Uh, that don't qualify as new content and therefore qualifying beyond light as being smaller. Possible new Dreaming City activity. Again, this I have no reason to speculate about any of this stuff, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to speculate about that. Poet Anderson. We focus a lot on free-to-play versus paid. What are we paying for when we buy Beyond Light? versus season of the hunt only forsaken and shadow keep each handled seasons differently which do you see beyond light following i think beyond light and uh, is fall is setting out a new path because season of the undying didn't really have much going on i mean there was a little bit of a story with ikora but season of the hunt feels more significant there's a literal cutscene with crow and osiris it looks like there's maybe one or two more cutscenes that some one of at least one of them includes spider and they've got this separate activity going on so i think it's close to being kind of like vex offensive like until we see the actual loot pool and the actual content loop of the activity the wrathborn hunts but to me it, it having like a side campaign and keep in mind the side campaign that's going on in Season of the Hunt is tied to Witch Queen and probably the rest of the year so I would I would actually say that's a step up in quality as compared to Shadowkeep and Season of the Undying I, we, we, again I don't, I don't have the content yet so I'm not saying it's a step up I'm just saying on the surface to me, it looks like a step up. It looks like an improvement. Dracus Pander. I'm frustrated with the bandwidth excuse. It's been known it's been a known problem long enough to expect Bungie to have partnered with someone. Why haven't they? How can they address this frustration? This harkens back to things I said at the beginning of this QA. You gotta find a company that's big enough to lean in. So that's the first qualifier. All right, they got to be big enough to lean in. Whatever the size of VV or High Moon Studios were, we would need this company to be in similar size or it's not going to be that much of a, you know, it's not really going to help. Second, they need to be familiar with our game, our game's identity, our engine, and our dev tools. You have just made it, I would say, probably pretty freaking hard to actually find this company where where you where you can actually plug them right in you know what i mean victor says the price can be truly justified after we see the quality of the expansion as simple as that it makes uh me side even more with the silent bungee yeah again again it just depends though it depends because i think a lot of the people that are asking for more information are actually saying um, you know, I want more. I want more information or I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to um 
I'm not going to pay you the money. I just don't think there's enough of those people to warrant Bungie to get off of the let's keep more things a mystery strategy. If they were feeling enough of the people sort of canceling their pre-orders and making and making those adjustments, then I think they would start putting more information out. I, I do. I think they would. The fact that they're not doing that, the fact that they're not putting more information out, they're still they're still harping on the mystery track, and and not only are they harping on the mystery track, Luke Smith defends the mystery philosophy in an interview. So they're kind of doubling down. He seems pretty confident in the fact that keeping things a secret is totally fine. He defends it. He gives an analogy to wrapping a present and not just putting it on the counter. So he kind of doubles down. So I would wager to say that means they're pretty confident in, in, in this strategy that they're taking. I don't think that they're concerned in the slightest that they're, you know, they're losing pre-orders or something. Now, I said this on the Rages Roundtable. I did say that this is one of the first times in all the years I've covered the game that I'm seeing what seems like a, a decent number of people in chat canceling their pre-orders, and I've got people saying their clanmates are doing the same thing. The people that they play with are canceling their pre-orders. Uh, you know, is it is it measurable? Is it having an impact? I don't know. I don't know. He didn't come off as confident to me. More of like, eh, if you like it, great. If not, we'll try again. I didn't get that vibe at all. He even swore. He was like, you don't, he's like, you don't wrap, uh, what did he say? He's like, if you got a present, you wrap it. He's like, you don't just put it on the freaking counter. And he didn't say freaking. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, you know, he got a little amped up. He got a little amped up. He was like, you know, I, he, he defended the idea of being mysterious. He kind of doubled down. I'm not saying that that means he came across as confident. What I'm saying is that means he's confident in the mystery strategy. That's the point that I'm making. If the mystery strategy was backfiring, hear me out, hear me out. This is the point that I'm trying to make. Let me try and connect every dot. If the mystery strategy was backfiring and they were losing pre-orders in such a large measurable amount... I don't think he would have gone on that stream and doubled down and defended the mystery strategy. I think he would have said, we understand there's a lot of members of the community that want more information and we are going to attempt to put out some more information in the coming weeks in the form of director's cuts, blog posts, or whatever. I I don't think, I don't think they're worried. I really, really don't. I think the number of people that have canceled their pre-orders is too small of a number for them to deviate on their strategy right now and to suddenly like pull the ripcord and be like, somebody needs to write a blog post and somebody needs to do this or that or any of that, you know? And listen, listen. There are two there are two elements at play here. Yes, they're being mysterious, but there's also free to play. So as a player who is curious or unsure, if you lack that certainty, you can get a lot of the content day one to mess around with and see if you like it and be like, okay, it seems worth the purchase. My friends are talking about this activity, this loot pool, this gun, this thing over here. I think I'm gonna pull the trigger and buy. Now, more than ever, more than Taken King era, more than Forsaken era, you can try before you buy, and that was not even a possibility back then. That's another element here. I'm not saying that that means it's going to be amazing. I'm just saying you as the player are actually in a pretty good spot right now. If you lack the certainty, if you don't have that confidence, you're in a position that you were not in in years past. 
you know, if you were looking at Forsaken, if you were looking at Shadowkeep, and you were kind of scratching your head, being like, I don't know if I want to get it, there wasn't much you could do. You just had to kind of like wait, let your friends play everything, and then you could, you know, ask them. You can jump in day one and, and, and take a lot of this stuff for a test drive. Apparently, we're 15 likes away from 1,000 likes. If you're new and enjoying the content, pressing the like button is free, and it helps this video get recommended. Also, if you haven't clicked subscribe yet, please do, though. Uh, please do that. I will not overwhelm your sub feed. This is purely a live channel now, like very infrequent uploads. You can subscribe in confidence knowing I'm not gonna I'm not gonna obliterate your sub feed. If you're still looking for those uploads of QA sessions like this, you know, QA and, and VIP call-ins, that hits the archive channel. It also hits SNTRnetwork.com. So if you still are looking for the uploads, I do make those available, just not here. Ghostwood. Context matters. Aside from the content loop, what are your parameters for judging whether Beyond Light is too small? Keep it the great work. Thank you. This is where I think measurement of quality is going to differ person to person. Some people look at, how, oh, how many exotics are there? Some people want to know how long the campaign is. I get out a completely different measuring tape. I measure the content loop. Always. That, that's what I measure. And you measure a content loop in two ways how big is the circle of the content loop meaning how much can I run before I get bored is it diverse does it have variety is it dynamic is there multiple content loops like you're going to have the wrathborn hunts you're going to have all these other things right so how many loops are there and how and how and how wide are they I'll give you an example of a really really small circle a content loop that's sort of the same thing over and over and over again Tower event and contact public event are really, their circle is really small. It's really small. Same thing over and over and over and over again. I would say a wider circle that shows more breadth, okay, is Menagerie. A different boss every week, different rooms, different encounters, lots of different weapons to get. So the circle is wider on Menagerie. You're not repeating an action or a fight at the same interval that you are in the freaking stupid contact public event. It's just the same thing, same thing, same thing. Yes, the end boss changes, but that, I think, is the only thing that makes it like a circle and not a dot of like, just stand here and shoot stuff. The second way I measure a content loop is I take the circle and I flip it sideways. How deep does it go? How deep does it go? Is there, does it get harder? What's the depth of what I'm chasing? Are there lots of different roles? Are there new roles? Are there new perks? Is this does the stuff matter to me at all? Is there any semblance of difficulty spectrum at all? So I measure content loops in two ways. Think of it like this. A pool is a really good example. A kiddie pool is both small in size and shallow in depth. So contact public event and the tower public event are kiddie pools. They're not that, there's not a lot of breadth, there's not a lot of depth. I would say that Menagerie is like a really, really nice backyard pool. It's a really good size, and it's got one end that's a little bit deeper than the other. Not bad. You could could do a couple of different things in that pool. And then I would look at something maybe like uh, nothing really ever hits Olympic size, but I think there's like different size pools of activities you can go into. So you have like a really good backyard pool, like below ground. Then you have like above ground pool. So Sundial was kind of like an above ground pool. It was close to the size, 
of menagerie but the depth wasn't as, as it wasn't there wasn't as much depth there do you see what i'm saying that's how i measure a content loop so when i look at beyond light and i hear oh it's smaller than forsaken beyond uh, uh blind well what the crap that's not a good content loop it's attached to this other thing, but there's nothing directional about it. Like, there's not really a great way for me to to do blind well over and over again. Now, yeah, week to week, you could do it for power pursuit and the offering, but there was nothing really attached to it. It didn't feel like a weekly or even a daily content loop like Sundial or Menagerie or the Dungeon right now. Those are activities you can just kind of grind all day long and go for the things that you want. So, sure, Barons are another great example of they weren't even a content loop you had bosses unique boss fights unique dialogue unique missions and there is zero replay value that's been one of my like token examples of wasted capital wasted wasted capital what was that so sure the barons arguably made forsaken bigger but where was the depth and the replayability? It wasn't there. There was more depth and replayability in the freaking forges and black armory than there were in the dadgum barons. Which is so unfortunate. Because the mindbender fight's dope. The hangman fight is dope. Mad bomber. The sniper guy. The trickster. Oh, the fight. The fights were. Do, what? Do you remember the trickster? You go back in that room and there's like fake ammo on the ground and some of it blows you up. That is such a cool fight. And you probably played it three, maybe five times. Single digits. (laughs) Single digits that you ran that fight. Cool mechanics. a A boss you've never seen before. And nothing. Nothing. So that's where I'm like, quantity isn't the true measurement. The measurement is how much breadth is there and how much depth is there. Menagerie is your backyard, your nice backyard underground pool. Sundial's kind of an above ground pool. Contact public events, a kiddie pool. And then you got things like the barrens that are n- literally nothing. It's not even a pool. It's like a ho- it's like a hose. It's like a rainstorm. It's like, well, that was really cool. It got we got wet, but that's the end of it. Barrens were probably the best story enemy encounters Destiny ever had. Yeah, the the barrens are 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 literally, I think, the single greatest example of wasted capital in in Destiny's content history. They could have literally cut the blind well and just made the barons their own, like, grind with their own cool loot, and it would have been so much better than... Like, blind well was cool, but it didn't really have much of a purpose. The baron fights were awesome, but we still talk about how adding the scorn did nothing to change the way we fight new races of enemies. Yeah, that's true. The bosses, though, really are what where it, where it happened, Right? You know, if you're going to have a boss with really cool mechanics, it doesn't matter if it's a giant hobgoblin or a brand new character. It doesn't really matter. It was really the mechanics of the fights that made those Baron fights really, really interesting. When you went and fought the Shield Brothers, I mean, it was Cabal, but the, the fight felt completely different because of the mechanics. When you went and fight a la cool, the fight felt different, not because it was it was just another Hive Knight. It was because you couldn't freaking see him. It was cool. 
The blind well was awful. I actually thought the blind well was a really, really cool idea. I do. I think that the harmony and the picking up the harmony and getting your super a bunch of times, especially with shards of Galanor, it had its own little internal mechanics to the fights. I actually thought the mechanical side of blind well made it a unique and fun encounter. It had zero freaking loot attached. All you had to do was create a one or a two weapon pool for each boss. So when a certain boss showed up, you could just grind it like crazy, hoping to get the god roll on so and so's, um, you know, so uh, so and so's drop or whatever. Captain Killshot, is that? Where do I know you from? Are you my Are you my cousin? My cousin had a name like that. I feel like a username like that. You got to attach loot. They've come so close so many times. We talked about that with Nightmare Hunts. Nightmare Hunts had difficulty spectrum, different bosses. It rotated weekly. It got harder as you went up. You got cooler mods mods as you went up. And then what? No loot attached. Oh, no, it's not. Okay. You must have just been from the other platform. Captain Killshot's like familiar to me. I, I don't know. So... To circle back to your question, we will not know the true value of Beyond Light versus Forsaken until we've kind of played it for, I probably would say, like a month or so. Because I can give you, I could give you a hundred Ritz crackers, or I could give you 50 slices of bread. Which is more substantive? It's pretty easy to answer, isn't it? One's got way more quantity. One's less quantity with more substance. It's like, come on. There's, there's got to be more to, to, to measure a game based off of than that. And maybe maybe Luke should have been prepared to, to better answer a question like this. This is why you don't really see devs typically doing AMAs. Because the marketing team probably cringed when they were when they heard him say that. They were like... Why would you do that? You just told the audience that it's smaller than the expansion that's hailed as one of the best expansions in Destiny 2's right? Like, if you're going to say that, you got to back it up by saying, we've improved what we feel like is a better content loop and quality of the game, so while it, what it lacks in quantity, it makes up in quality. He was talking to the team via text. I bet you they got right up his nose for saying that. I don't. They, they, I can't believe that they'd be okay with him saying that. <laughs> uh, N. A. Painter. With Luke Smith stating that the seasonal content uh, and manpower they have, what are your thoughts on the seasons per year? I mean, that I think is the other. Yeah. Yeah. This is the other side of it. This is a good question, actually. If year three wasn't necessarily thin because it was transitional, if it was thin because that's their that's their bandwidth now, I would yeah, I would say that's concerning. I don't know if we can survive on the seasonal depth that we got in year three. The seasonal depth in year three was was rough. It was rough. My only hope would be that the changes they've made on the technical side of things with shortening their their patching pipeline and reinstalling the game and moving scripting and all that around, I would hope that has a net benefit of just being able to give us more stuff on a more regular basis. I don't expect a season to get much further beyond Season of Dawn. 
I, I, I don't think, I don't think we can expect, I'm trying to be reasonable here, every three months, I don't expect them to get, uh, to get be, f- further than a season of Dion substance level. Really, really, really good, r- couple of really cool story missions, really dope, I think, I thought, a very dope content loop with really cool weapons, then you got the season pass, and you had that secondary grind with it, with the, the obelisks. And we got to remember what Teddy's saying. Stuff is sticking around all year now, so you're not going to be so hyper-focused on just one thing. No more Worthy and Arrivals? That's the real question. Are we going to have more Seasons of the Worthy and Season of Arrivals? Like, Season of Arrivals is good, but it ain't great. It certainly isn't great. It, it only... If, if Listen, let's be honest. If Season of Arrivals would have followed Season of Dawn, I don't think we'd be so kind to it. I don't. I think we're kind to Season of Arrivals because Season of the Worthy was so freaking bad. <laughs> I, I, I'm serious. I really am serious. I think, we're, I think we're a little too kind and a little too charitable to Season of Arrivals. I think Season of Arrivals is, is, um, is, is kind of weak. It's got great story and good story developments. I love the interference thing. The way they did that's my favorite part about it. But I think contact sucks. I think the umbrals are stupid. I think the loot's not that exciting. Who cares about the auto rifle and the pulse rifle? They're trash. The one the like I don't know, the sword was cool and then the dungeon didn't have anything interesting in it. High stat armor and rerolled guns. And the armor says dado on everything, dido on everything. What happened during Season of the Worthy? I missed it. You didn't miss it. Nothing really happened. The coolest thing in Season of the Worthy was the pyramid ships moving on the screen, the the, the shooting down of the Almighty, and then the really, really cool um, quest where we went down and saw the, uh, the original uh, Rasputin. That was one of the only things that kind of made Worthy not, not horrible from beginning to end. It had some decent spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we include corridors as part of Dawn? Yeah, corridors of time was cool. War mine cells. I mean, season of the worthy did have cool ideas, but it was like I don't know. I've been rewatching The Office, so I always want to relate things to The Office. I kind of feel like Season of the Worthy was like Michael Scott. Mostly bumbling, and then every once in a while there were bright spots where Season of the Worthy had like, hey, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, summoning robots, legendary lost sectors, summoning those those javelins and the war mine cells. Yeah, that's not too bad. And then the rest of it was just an utter disaster. And then, oh, wow, this is a pretty cool moment where you get to go out and see the original Rasputin. That's not bad. And then the ending season event was pretty cool. That's not enough to make up how bad it was. Like at the end of the day, no matter how charming and funny and caring Michael Scott is, at the end of the day, he's he's bad at his job. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's one of the funny things about the show. Bungie seems to be more concerned with jumping through all the hoops needed to not get canceled. I don't know what you mean by that. Ink Toxicant. Could the concept of an evolving world with content that cycles in and out be a limiter on how big Bungie goes with an expansion? Not only for dev time, but also for player attachment to the content. 
I mean, I don't think so because the stuff's gonna last a year. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think they're gonna like chop contents, you know, quality of like, oh, we better limit this expansion and dev time dedicated to it because eventually, you know, it's gonna get rotated out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that'd be that would be their reasoning. I mean, because uh, the the reason I don't think that is because they they're the ones who set it up. You know what I mean? They're the ones who set it up. They're the ones who set up the DCV and these ideas. Ashen Hollow. Think the inability to backfill using vendors is going to cause a lot of problems with leveling or even using vendors to get things for infusion fuel. That's how I kept a lot of my arsenal up to date. Do non-tower vendors even give you the minus 20 as well? Yeah, all vendors are going to give you the minus 20. Here's the thing. Th- th- this was a half this wasn't just a half measure this was a this was a this was the it's worse than a half measure because it's missing its other half it's it's what they should have done is they should have said we are taking away the ability to token slam by implementing the change that they that they outlined okay and then then they should have followed it up by saying and you won't need to backfill at a vendor because the game is going to do that for you. The game is going to drop things at your level. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Pulling stuff from collections at 1050 is seriously the worst. Right, I'm not, too, I'm not as concerned about that. The issue here is, is we've, we've asked for leveling to improve and they go to what is an example of a pain point in leveling going to a vendor and looking for a plus zero and token slamming a vendor is a symptom of how bad leveling is and what do they do they take that away now i think it's great that they said okay we're gonna let you rerun milestones to get more we're gonna, we're gonna let you rerun milestones so you can get more drops, you can get more of the things so you can keep leveling, that's good but what they should have said is we understand that trying to backfill and get things to drop at your level is a consistent pain point in the leveling, so now whatever level you are at, all items drop at your level, so you're either getting bumped by a powerful, or you're backfilling by getting a drop that hits the right slot Like both of those things should be leveling you up like, good luck explaining this freaking system. Good luck explaining this freaking system to a new player. Because they're not going to understand why they're getting stuff below their current level. I don't understand. I'm 1050. Not only am I 1050, I'm 1058. Well, let's say they're 1060 because they've been playing for a while. Like, a brand new player is going to enter the game at 1050. They get to 1060. Then they're 1068 with the artifact. And they're getting drops that are like 1057. They're like, I don't understand. Why am I getting drops lower than the slot that I have it in? My gun's 1062 and I just got a drop at 1059. What the frick is this? Like, they didn't... (laughs) You don't have to explain leveling if everything drops at your level and powerful drops are a means of increasing the power level of that slot. You don't have to explain that to anybody. Now, what you're going to have to try to explain is there are sources for powerful bumps. When you get those powerful bumps, they will raise your overall gear score. That's actually not the same as your total score because your total score is your gear score plus your artifact score. Then, what can happen is items drop at your actual 
at your actual like soft cap which is beneath where you are like it's just all over the place like just make everything drop at your level because they're going to hit 1200 and the 1200 beyond grind you're going to constantly be getting drops that are below your level unless they're powerful and that doesn't make sense to the average player Inazuma says, uh, Inazuma says, so we know that they are really focusing on Game Pass players. Given how good Season of the Hunt looks, could the seasons be getting greater focus over expansions? It would drive consistent revenue, too. This ties in with some of the other things that I said. The idea that, like, maybe they're not going to reinvigorate core activities in an expansion because the focus in the expansion is the new location and all the activities attached to it. So maybe they're going to do stuff later. Because he did say, oh, we're doing armor in season of the hunt that's their that's their reinvigoration of um that's their reinvigoration of core activities for season of the hunt so it's possible they do something in another season it's also possible that what you're saying is maybe they slice some of the bandwidth off and said listen we can't have another season of the worthy and season of arrivals is in many respects only doing well because the story elements are interesting and it's leading to an expansion so maybe they have decided to beef up seasons a little bit more i mean truth be told season of the hunt looks to be pretty decent because it's and it's coming with an expansion, Season of the Undying didn't offer much and because it, it was, a t- why? Because it was attached to Shadowkeep. So we all kind of like justified it. We're like, well, it was $35 for Shadowkeep and they kind of threw Season of the Undying in. So for all intents and purposes, we only got one really strong season in year three, Season of Dawn. Season of the Undying, what came with Season of the Undying was weak, Worthy sucked, and Arrivals is slightly better. Wait until uh, people have to start erasing half their vault because of sunsetting. You guys haven't seen Mad of the Game yet. I don't think people understand what sunsetting actually is. I Maybe you might be confused on how it's going to work, though, McCluskey, because your entire vault's going to be 1050 come this expansion. So sunsetting is only going to hurt that person if they try and take something that's been sunset into the raid of the dungeon. Every time the floor goes up, so does all of your loot. So you're not going to be... I don't actually think people that play casually are even going to notice sunsetting because the floor is always going to drag their loot up and then they're just going to be able to keep on using it in the public space or the, the strikes or wherever it is they're going. So now 1050 is the new floor. There will be no 750 loot or activities. Everything's 1050. Next year, who knows what in frick it'll be. You know, it'll be 1450 or something. When did they say they were raising the floor? In the TWAB. We, I theorized they were going to raise the floor when we saw the Cosmodrome at 1050. I was like, if the Cosmodrome is 1050, then they're raising the floor. The TWAB literally outlined the fact that they're doing this. The heck was that? Why would that do that? My cap, my screen like flickered, like my cap card's acting funky. Um, when you first log into next season, all of your weapons and armor will be at 1050 power or higher. If you have anything over 1050, it will be unchanged. Anything under will be brought up to 1050. All new players will start at 1050 as well. That's the exact quote. So they postpone the actual sunsetting a year? No. I think people have misunderstood sunsetting time and time again. All sunsetting is intended to do is to keep you from taking the best weapon from beyond light so let's say the raid has just a killer hand cannon it's really good and it's really really strong it'll have an infusion cap that infusion cap will keep that gun out 
outside of the Witch Queen raid. That's the only reason Sunsetting's being implemented. That gun will be good everywhere in Witch Queen except for the end game. As soon as you go into Upper Delta content in Witch Queen, that gun will be worthless. I really do think people people have misunderstood Sunsetting. They think a casual is going to show up to Witch Queen and be like, I don't understand why my breakneck is terrible in the public space. They're not going to do that. They're always going to raise the floor to ensure that that guy can use his, use his breakneck in the public space and in strikes. I, t- I, told, I told people, I was like, there's no way they're going to do that. And when people saw the Cosmodrome at 1050, I was like, this is exactly what I've been talking about. They are not going to sunset the casuals loot pool out of the public space in strikes. That's not why it's been designed. Maybe the, maybe the raid's a bad example, Blader. Sorry. Yeah, I think raids have a slightly longer sunsetting shelf life. Um, I I don't know any any amazing legendary that you get. Okay, I got a better example: the pursuit weapon, that sniper rifle, the adored. If the adored ends up being a killer in the raid, it's gonna get sunset in Witch Queen and not be able to go into the Witch Queen raid. It still works pretty much everywhere else. It's, it's Sunsetting only applies to Endgame. Raising the floor has only ever been done once and not talked about till now. It seems very unfair to act like it was an assumed element of Sunsetting. No, it's very fair to assume it was an element of Sunsetting because every time they talked about Sunsetting, they said it would only apply to Endgame viability. So, it stands to reason, Bungie would always ensure that the bottom rung of the game stays at the right level for your gear to not get left behind. Like, my argument was always logical on this. I said, listen, if they're going to consistently say two or three different times in two or three different, you know, news posts or blog posts that sunsetting only applies to endgame viability, it stands to reason that entrance level content, public events, and strikes will always raise with the game, and so will all of your gear with it. They'll just keep raising the floor. They'll do the 750 thing. I consistently made that argument. People thought it was crazy. They're like, they're not going to do that. I'm like, yes, they are. Because sunsetting is not intended to hurt casual Carl's breakneck. It's it is it's not he is not the target. Casual Carl who uses his breakneck everywhere he goes, that is not that he is not the target. The target is they can make really, really dope endgame loot, this upper echelon we've been talking about, and they know this is not a threat to the raid or the dungeon that we're launching in twelve or fifteen months. It's not technically true except for one year. In season 13, the activity level requirements will be higher than season 12 unless we assume a raise every season. Well, no, because you're assuming two th- you're assuming something that does that requires the assumption. You're assuming that season 13, the seasonal activity will have a level requirement. We don't know that yet. I my contention is that when season 13 lands, you have to make the normal version at 1050. You have to. Why? Cuz casual Carl needs to be able to take his breakneck into whatever season 13 seasonal content is. Why is he going to spend $10 and get told, "Thanks for your 10 spot. None of your gear works in here." That doesn't work. That just completely breaks down. There is literally no way they do that. That's not endgame content. That's not aspirational content. Endgame viability should not apply to Sundial or Vex Offensive. That's stupid. 
Now, you would be correct in saying they did that this year. Both the Tower event and the Contact Pubble event had a Delta, and I argued day of those season starts, and I still argue today that was a stupid decision. You shouldn't be doing that. It's very simple. Welcome to the new season. What's the new activity? It's over there. Go have a ball. Cool. And they grind it for a while. And then they start leveling up because the level has a season bump. And as they start leveling up, they start to realize, oh, there's a hard mode. There's another version. There's something aspirational. There's a bump for Grandmaster Nightfalls. There's a bump for these other things. Who knows? Like, you can't make the entrance level content. You can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. The old season content stays around for a year. Yeah, that too. I just... I I think you could be correct in saying, well, Lono, but they did that way in year three. How could you possibly know this? I was just thinking just logically about it. I'm like, it would be incredibly stupid to say multiple times, sunsetting only applies to endgame viability, and then be like, thanks for your 10 bucks. Sundial is sunsetting your gear. What? I'm so... Why? Sundial is an end game. Now, Sundial had a hard mode, right? So I think that's the format. Normal and a hard mode. Normal mode should be 1050, and then the hard mode should go up in, in accordance to that season's level bump. You cause because here's the thing: McCluskey and all these other people are right. If you start sunsetting the casual player's vault, they are gonna get really angry. They're gonna frigging flip their lid. This is why people got so angry about sunsetting, because I think they ultimately thought that's what was gonna happen. They're like, wait, so every season I'm losing gear, right? You're retiring my gear. No, not really. The only thing you're really going to feel is, oh man, this gun is now 13 months old. I can't take it into the dungeon or whatever new thing they launch. Like if they launch a hard mode or maybe they have a dungeon in the summer or something, you can't take your 13 month old gun in there. It's, it's, it's too old to infuse up to the, to the delta of that piece of content. But if you're running strikes, the seasonal content, the public space, just normal crucible, your 13 month old gun is just fine. It's power doesn't matter in those environments. So we need to transition to VIP call-in. So good hour-long Q&A, great questions, great back and forth. If you're listening to this recording elsewhere, you can always catch me at sntrlive.com. Monday through Friday, I'm live on YouTube, and SNTR Live will get you there. If you're listening right now and you haven't hit subscribe yet or like yet, please do that. The live audience... You can subscribe in confidence. I'm generally only a live channel now. I'm not going to overwhelm your sub feed with uploads. Uh, If you're also in the live audience, don't go anywhere. We're going to transition to letting people call in to discuss this kind of stuff live on the air uh, as long as they're a VIP. As always, if you're listening or watching in other locations, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be the VIP call-in session that followed my talk about is Beyond Light going to be too small? If you're listening to this as a podcast somewhere, you can always catch me live at sntrlive.com. If you'd prefer to have all my content in one location and not really watch the live streams, be sure to bookmark sntrnetwork.com. sntrnetwork.com allows you to have all of my shows, content, and schedules in one location. Rageous Roundtable, Repeat Theater, and this show as well. N.A. Painter is our first caller today, and it says here seasonal content price. Go ahead and elaborate on that for me. Well, I actually updated it a bit, just as well, like, as, well as quant- uh, content quantity. Okay. Um, a point that I, I see all the time is, oh, Beyond Light's going to be super expensive, and, you know, obviously I can understand people are, oh, it's not as big, 
but we're hoping for quality. But I think a lot of the time people forget about things like Taken King and Rise of Iron. If you take away moments of triumph where back then we'd pay $30, $40 for all of this content. And then three weeks in, there's nothing to do for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, there's like a, a thing two months down the line or three months down the line. And then it just dips back down. There's nothing to do, which when you talk about seasonal content, when you look at like the past, when you look at Forsaken to Shadowkeep or Shadowkeep to... Beyond Light, or, and probably Beyond Light to Witch Queen, we've gotten more content in a single year than we ever have before. And uh, what, what are you paying every three months? You're paying for a, a Subway steak and cheese. You're paying less than you would at Subway for a steak and cheese sandwich for, you know, a little bit of extra something to do in the game to satisfy you for another month or two. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that most of the folks worried about price... Uh, and value are not necessarily looking at maybe D1 as the best example, but I think you're making a good point. I've said this before. If you look at just the calendar that they've released, okay, I'm going to get that on screen for everybody. If you just look at the calendar for Beyond Light and Season of the Hunt, if I could go back in time and show this to somebody who was like two or three weeks into Rise of Iron, they would probably think this looks like a fantasy like how on earth could you have that much content and stuff releasing in November and then in more in December and then something running all the way until January like it, it would it would seem like that doesn't seem possible you know a rhythm of content from all the way from November to February would seem would seem you know I impossible and so I do think that one of the one of my new sort of soapboxes I get on is that we get sort of inoculated and numb to all of the quality of life improvements and how far this game has come. If I compare how much I'm spending versus how much there is to do and how much loot I have and how many you know how many hours I put in, in Rise of Iron, I spent thirty dollars and I largely lived in one activity, Wrath of the Machine. And that was basically it. I was that, that was kind of where I lived for the longest time. And, and, and same thing happened with Taken King. And there was kind of nothing to do after a while. So now I'm spending roughly the same as what I spent for Taken King, a little bit more than I paid for Rise of Iron. And I do feel like the value and the quality of the game and, and, and sort of the, the rhythm of things to do is significantly better than in D1. And I do think that's something that gets lost in these discussions is... It's almost like our expectations get bigger and bigger every time they make things better. And it, it becomes it becomes almost like an insatiable monster where, you know, there's that book I, I read growing up where the guy tells the kid, don't feed the fish too much, just one pinch a day. And the kid doesn't listen. And then the fish grows too big and bigger and bigger. And in the story, they don't do this, but imagine that every time the fish gets bigger, you have to feed him more. And I do feel like that's kind of happened with the Destiny community is Bungie's continued to deliver more, you know, each time, each time they add more to the game or the raids get bigger or there's more loot, there's more loot than there ever was in D1. And, and yet we continue to ask for more. It's kind of like the feed me little shop of horrors, like that monster, you know, feed me and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's almost like our appetite or our our content stomach gets stretched and then it 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 feels like it's harder to fill it up um and i i don't necessarily think we're going to see content rhythm substance or depth 
change that much over the next couple of years. I think we've got a pretty clear picture as to what every expansion is going to roughly look like. I do think that's why I continue to really echo the questions, concerns, and requests from the more committed players about I want to have that conversation of a director's cut, quality of life. I want the base game to feel better. Um, if the content's there, the loot is there, and there's cool new raids and new things to go and do and see, new sub- new subclasses, new planets, man, I'm good with that. But I really want that core gameplay to be improved, and I do think part of the conversation is more rooted in that than people that might think I don't honestly think any of the people in this community that have been really echoing those concerns would ever try to say D1 was better with respect to, you know, D, like um, content life and relevancy. I don't think any of them would say D1 was better than D2. Uh, but I think it is good to add that to the narrative and the discussion to really remind people like, man, the game actually has come like a really long way. They are way better about avoiding the major pitfalls of D1, which were huge content droughts. Content droughts now are nothing compared to what it was back then. It is it is so much better uh, than it was in in D one with respect to how long you know you can play and how you know how often new things are kind of getting added to the game. So I, I I appreciate what you're adding to the discussion. I do. Not only that, but you also can take a look at the fact that Bungie has become a a, a million times more responsive to when you know game breaking things happen you look back to you won storm trancer a hammer of soul and it took them months upon months just to fix the broken things about them mm-hmm. and then you look at something in the game that gives you an instant super and they have it disabled within a couple hours and they have it fixed within the month yeah and that's supposed to speed up too uh, their patching pipeline is supposed to be speeding up in uh, in in post beyond light because of the the things they've changed on the inside and the reinstall. So yeah, I, you know we we're, we still I you know Ashen saying we still have content droughts. We 100% still have content droughts, but yeah, there's a course. big difference. Yeah, there's a big difference between the length of the droughts now compared to to D1. The the length of the droughts are dramatically different. I mean, dude, I made a video a month and a half after the Taken King landed and told people that it was okay to take a break. That's a month and a half. That's halfway through a season right now. So a month and a half, I was like, it's okay to take a break. They didn't get anything really substantive until Rise of Iron, which was a year later. I mean, you got the April update, but that was it. No. Uh, and I think it can. I think every single person who's ever played Destiny, ever, who actually cares about the game, will admit it's not possible to not have a content drought. It's not possible. Yeah. Looking at yep. you know, all of this content, you even now we have three months between seasons. It doesn't matter what they come out with. I don't think it's feasible for them to come out with a Forsaken every three months. And even then, Forsaken only kept us busy for like two months. Right. If that. Yeah. Some of that just comes down to understanding kind of the reality of development like so whenever you have a bunch of people visiting and you, you know you got the your one water heater in the home if eight or nine people shower back to back the water heater is not going to be able to keep up with those eight people that you know you're going to get the person number five and six and the water is going to start to get lukewarm and then person seven and eight are taking ice cold showers right it, it, it can't keep up 
development companies are kind of like a water heater. They can only do so much so fast, and when you consume it at a rate that it can't keep up with, you have to accept that the record's going to start skipping. You're going to have to kind of like just take a break and do something else. That is just reality. That's called living life on life's terms. You know, like that you can't, they literally cannot keep up with the way that we could play because it's a disproportionate amount of time investment. You can play for four hours a night for an entire month. Okay. You get home, you eat your dinner and you play for four hours a night in that span of time, the four hours a night that you played, the amount of content you consume represents literally thousands of hours of work and you consumed it in a month and they probably spent thousands of hours over the course of you know nine months a year or longer and you just woof even really substantive games something like an assassin's creed or a witcher the amount of time it takes you to play through it and consume it if you play exhaustively you know a 50 hour assassin's creed playthrough that's only 50 hours and you are done with what took thousands of hours and years to create it's just such a disproportionate consumption versus production it's so disproportionate and everybody always forgets that it's like you know it would be like taking your family of 20 to a little tiny diner that has one cook and being and being you know incensed at the fact that it's taking a while for everybody to get fed it's just they can't they can't keep up you got too many people you put too many hours in it's the the, the production production takes uh, i'm sorry production versus consumption is extremely disproportionate in gaming and everybody kind of forgets that i mean you watch you binge watch a television show in a weekend and that show was i mean the number one just the filming is hundreds of hours and and months sometimes you know and then editing and producing and chopping and all of that and, and you can and you and you woof you inhale it over a weekend so Odyssey yeah. takes 150 hours to 100%. Well, no, 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 no. You know what I'm saying. A, a semi-completionist campaign run through those games takes anywhere from 25 to 50 hours. Yes, you do every single little jot and tittle, and you grab every post-it note you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it, it can take that long. Even 150 hours is nothing compared to the thousands that went into it. A- 150 hours. I mean, are you kidding me? It's, it's not that much time when you have to consider that a game like Odyssey would have taken at least a full year of development and ideas and game design and engineering and engine building just to make. And mm-hmm. someone can consume the entire game and everything there is to see in a week. Well, think about it like this. You know, he says 150 hours. Let's shave 150 down to 120 hours. Okay? 120 hours represents three full-time devs working for one week that's it that's it take it take a team of three three people working for one week they each work 40 hours so three times the 40 that's 120 hours that is one week of just three people working and you did it you just and you did that over the course of you know probably a month you know whatever how many hours you put in 150 hours is is already you're you're now already playing it's comparatively that's three people that's nothing three people working for a week what do you think they get done in a week i mean development of really big games takes four and five years something like ac odyssey i mean that's a, that's a three to five year dev cycle easy and i think de- that's that is something truly 
that if you kind of got perspective from other developers, I, th- what Destiny and Bungie has achieved in some respects is kind of remarkable. That they continue to trickle out content and maintain a close to million million player based you know community. It it in a, in and of itself in the history of gaming, I I wouldn't be surprised if 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 people you know, years from now we're talking about it, about how just that is not an easy thing to do. It's so many games have tried and ultimately failed to capture, keep and satiate an audience of this size. I mean, hell, just look at cyberpunk. Epitome of everything we're saying right now. Yeah. Let's be honest. How long is it going to take people to just be done 100% with cyberpunk a month? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So good 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 balance to the to the discussion lately about you know the we're, we're all you know we're all getting a little grumpy a little bit impatient but i mean i you know i i still think it's it is very respectable what they pulled off these last couple of years and uh you know it doesn't mean it's gonna be perfect or 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 exactly what we want but you know oh, i still think not. it's still pretty impressive all right all right man thank you for calling in i'm gonna mute and a painter and go to light leap a familiar voice from today it says here why have they not even mentioned the problems with reissues and sunsetting yeah good question elaborate yeah so i was thinking about that after the round table um what they have talked about what issues we have and i feel like we forget a lot of times you know when the hype starts and now it's been like four months but all the problems we had with the game before right Season of Arrivals brought the brought the sunsetting um, information and brought the first reissues of the gear, and they told us first this wouldn't work this way. Now a lot of guns are being reissued. Then DMG again asked for feedback and said, "Oh, you don't like the way it's working? Um, we're gonna inform you." And the feedback was pretty clear: we don't want to do this. And I kind of feel they must know. We don't want to have that be online. So either the option is everything will be new and they are not worried or they're intentionally not informing us because they know that's how it's going to work, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel this is another thing where I'm like really wondering if they bring Beyond Light and there's going to be like tons of reissues, um, you know, at the, at the new power cap. I don't know how well that's going to go over. A couple of things, a couple of things. I, I need to remember the part at the end about reissues and vendors and stuff. There could be something good there that we haven't considered. But before we get to that, reissues and our concerns and, you know, when are they going to speak to that? This falls under the category of what I was kind of trying to drive home to people this morning. I don't know if you were here before the show, but I was telling folks, it was like, I really think a lot of us are looking for the category of what I call that housekeeping family discussion. And we're not getting that. Like, I said this on the roundtable. It's like it's like the volume knob's been turned down in the sound mix. Like if if we're making a if we're making a, a song and this instrument over here represents them talking directly to the family, the community, the people who play all the time, the director's cuts. Right, that volume knob's been turned down so low. Nothing seems to be addressed to existing players. If you even let I me mean, look at the twabs, look at the marketing, look at all of it. The only thing that's been addressed to us was like was what the 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 the, the sandbox stuff. You know. Yeah. 
I would put what you just outlined. That's another thing that should be in a director's cut. Like, what? what give us some assurances here. What are y'all doing with these reissues? Like I said, you guys are making you're making it really hard for people that want sunsetting to defend it because you keep making it look really bad. <laughs> like, so I, I that's another sort of family discussion that they need to have with us. I think. Um, and, and to what you said about, you know, if it's just a bunch of reissues, that's going to be bad. The only thing we haven't considered with respect to the Crucible and Vanguard especially is that the loot pool for them or the general world loot pool that's dropping there, it could be a lot of year one reissues that might be pretty exciting. There are some pretty dope weapons from year one that you throw some random rolls on there. I mean, that's and and also that's on the side of the content in beyond light that's not as important right hopefully the new guns and the new content loops within the beyond light expansion are more interesting to me than strikes so this isn't a front burner issue but i feel like that'd be a great way to i mean because you got things like the Mananan, you got like that nurgle uh you know pulse rifle uh, I always love the Lincoln Green Pulse Rifle from Devrim K. These are all weapons you could bring back the way they did with the Dire Promise in the old fashion, and those actually became coveted weapons, and they were in a crappy pool that you couldn't really pursue very well. Um, so we haven't uh, considered oh. that, that that could maybe help those loot pools out at least a little bit. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I think that if they would be clear, like, look... This is going to be a loot structure. We're going to refresh the vendors, but vendor loot's just going to be the basic stuff. And we're going to refresh it with, you know, reissued guns that, you know, from the past, and especially your one guns that has, still haven't seen a new re-roll. Mm-hmm. That, that would be dope. Um, I don't mind that at all, but I just would like to a clear picture, right? Yes. I think uh, for me, what I was hoping for Beyond Light and what's missing is I... I, I realize we're going to get new weapons from Europa, new weapons from the season and, and the raid, but the world lived and breathed a little bit with the loot like it had in D1, especially in also year 1, D2, with uh, the foundries, right? They were somehow mm-hmm. connected to the world. When you opened, inspected the, the weapon menu, you, you saw the logo, and yep. I don't know, they all had, somehow, they always had a similar style when they came from one foundry, and I, I wish they would expand on something like that for for the base level loot but I don't, I don't know where we're going that direction yeah I don't think so because they don't you know the cast of heroes and tower you know he said is getting too too thick too full and I do feel like they would want to avoid that even though I would love that I would love for the foundries to show up more or as you're saying at least give the foundries more of an identity in the game yeah yeah that that that's it well, it's just another point that I, I figured out i yield my time to the rest of the callers right and I think it's good for you to call in and say that because you're you are one of the folks that have been kind of banging on the we want more info drum and I think I've tried to make it clear to folks the category you're really looking for for a lot of this actually falls into the quality of life family discussion not necessarily you don't need like a numeric count of loot or pictures of loot or any of that it's just like the base game itself has things that we've been wanting to see fixed or like you're just saying, this is just a concern that we've had. Like, what are you all doing with the gnawing hunger and some of these other reissues that make Sunset look kind of stupid? Yeah, I think the best analogy I can come up with, if, if folks want to want to understand, is that um, think about a board game, and somebody's selling you this board game, and and I don't want to see the characters that you know the, the ones I'm going to play with. I don't want I don't want to see the dice. I don't want to see the design of the board. I don't want to see well how it's exactly yeah where are you gonna go what i would like to see 
is the rule book, right? What, how is it actually going to work? How am I going to move in, in this game through the world? And uh, yeah, how, how, what are basically the laws that govern the, the, the gaming experience? That's what I'm interested in, not, not the details of where I'm going to go and how it's going to look. Yeah. Yeah. We want a picture of the content loop, not the content itself. Like, I don't want to see the content and the guns and the armor. Just like, what's the loop going to look like? Um, and we've had Vice, Dido, the coming season, we get Amalon armor. No, they already did the Amalon armor. That was in the Eververse, the one season. That I guarantee yeah. you all that stuff got ripped, ripped out of uh, the, le- the, the, the Data Mind Arms Week. They were going to do an Arms Week, and I think they ripped all that armor out of that. Although we only got one set per class so far. The only set we got for all classes was Dido from the dungeon. Maybe so. they're tucking them. Yeah, they could be tucking them away for f- just future Eververse, just... A way yeah. to pad the Eververse, and I don't care about that. That stuff does. I don't even like those sets that much. They're kind of ugly, I think. Yeah. Well, well, unholy. Wait, just just so on answer because he says uh, you open the rule book after you purchase and open the game. But if you look up for new board games, you do le- read the back, and it ex- it explains to you how it's working, right? Yeah. You're not just buying it, right? <laughs> it explains to you in the back, like, look, this is for so and so many players. And this is how uh, what the what the gist of the game is, what the goal of the game is, and this is what we're a bit missing right now. Yeah, yeah I'm fairly certain you could go to like a, a website right now and look up, you know, Settlers of Catan or any board game and get a gist of like, oh, it's this type of game. This is the goal. This is what we're gonna do. And then when you get it and you open it up, it's like here's how to set it up. Here's what everybody starts with. Now you're getting yeah. down into the specifics, but. I don't think anybody would ever buy like Settlers of Catan and have zero clue what it is unless they weren't paying attention. I think you can get a general. We're we're talking now product description. That's basically it. Like when when I go to Amazon and I'm looking something up, I want to see a product description. And this is one of those times where they're they're banking on they're selling it more like a piece of entertainment than an actual sort of product because a product you kind of want to know the ins and the outs a piece of entertainment you watch a trailer for a show or a movie and it's short and you're like i'm gonna check that out and that's all you need so that's why i think there's two sort of different conversations happening it's like the marketing is definitely getting people like oh it's gonna be awesome look at that story look at that guy look at that place it's gonna be so fun it's entertaining we're a lot of us are 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 approaching this in a different way. We, to us, it's a product that we continue to consume day to day, and that, and we want to know what's this product going to do in Beyond Light. And Luke Smith made it very clear in the interview. They're they're kind of all about leaving more more to a mystery than they used to. I mean, compare this to Rise of Iron. We, Rise of Iron, we saw everything ahead of time. We knew we knew what everything looked like practically. Um, yeah. I, we even saw one of the raid bosses before. We, we, we saw Vosik before we ever got the content. It was very different back then. Um, and, uh, oh, it was so funny. On the roundtable, uh, Mike said, you know, you see the tra- some trailers show you everything. I always reference the Italian job for this, all right? If, if you've ever seen the movie Italian Job, go watch the trailers that they made for that movie. You literally see the entire movie in the trailer. Every amazing moment is literally in the trailer. <laughs> I had a friend that insisted on watching trailers before movies. And we watched the Italian Job one night, and I was like, we we, we saw all of this in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, terrible. nobody wants that. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah, we're not asking. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think any of us are asking for that. 
No, no, no. I think I think that anyone who plays just basically Destiny as an RPG and hardcore and wants progression is asking these questions, right? Because I mean, there there's no, I don't see any reason anyone could say right now that they've overloaded us with information regarding that, except for the director's cuts. Right. Rogby with the five dollars says I disagree, and you start closing your eyes and buying products on Amazon and spice things up. And Christina says no offense, but when you say a lot of us, you're talking about five to ten people. Well, five to ten people in the Discord, but I've seen plenty of people on Twitter, streamers. I've seen plenty, plenty of people in my YouTube chat that are like, "I canceled my pre-order. I don't know enough. I, I don't. I want more. I want more answers. I, I want to know about this, 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 and this." I've actually seen plenty of folks, Reddit forums, everywhere, saying, "You know, what are all these things that you talked about in the director's cut? All these things that were promised. We don't. We don't see. We're not seeing any of that info." Um, I mean, yeah, the handful of people in the in the Discord that have gotten on the hobby horse, I think they represent a, a faction of the community. I don't think it's enough people for Bungie to care, though. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I think. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, it's not the majority. Otherwise, the the, the, the game would flop, right? But uh, I, I definitely, I think, I think it's we we can't argue that there is way more people, some that dropped it, some that are questioning, than before other expansions, in my opinion. I don't remember this type of conversation even before Shadowkeep, honestly, because Shadowkeep they set pretty clear expectations. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've never seen people say they're canceling pre-orders before an expansion before. Like this is kind of a new. I think free to play is doing it too. Um, you've not seen what yeah. you're talking about. I mean, I, as far as the pulse of the community, I'm not saying it's a majority. I am saying it's a minority. I am saying it's a minority. Um, but yeah, I, I I think there's been there's been a handful of folks that have been like, I don't know enough yet. And I think if it was if Bungie was seeing it and measuring it and thought, oh, there's lots of people, I think they'd be they would be greenlighting maybe more info or some blog posts or something. Um, and look, maybe Luke Smith doing that interview, maybe that's what that was. Maybe that was like a dude. We got to get him in front of the audience right now. People are the, people kind of feel like they're not getting answers. Let's let him do an AMA and. And he sits down and does it, and it ends up not making it any better. <laughs> it's like he—I don't think he helped at all. I think, but I that that could have been what that was. That could have been a kind of a response of, let's get him in front of that uh, purple platform audience and start answering some questions because a lot of the streamers over there have been driving the dialogue of like, can we get some answers on some of these things? I mean, he got a question about world line skating for frick's sake. Like that's that audience over there. You know, what I mean? <laughs> who cares about that? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I, 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 to me, it helped a little bit. I mean, I like the honesty. I like that he said, look, it's not going to be as big as Forsaken, small and, uh, bit, bit, but bigger than Shadowkeep. I, that's something I said, for example. I, I need to go to get the scope. And honestly, sentences like this would, would be enough for me. Like five, six sentences. This is what we improved. Uh, we know about reissuing. This is how it's going to work. Uh, I don't know. Even we have tons of loot. Just be surprised or something. Something like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Thanks for the calling. Yeah. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. Next person calling in is King Keys. Let me get you unmuted here, sir. It says here spider bounties. What? Uh, what are you calling in about? So, first off, uh, good afternoon, Lono. Hope the stream has been going well today. Thank you, sir. Um. So, I wanted to talk about. So during the trailer. Uh, and on the website 
Spider is featured prominently.、Mm-hmm. And we're assuming that for the seasonal activity, Spider is going to have a hand in it.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and with it being a hunt, do you think we're getting Outlaw Bounties 2.0? Or I didn't even consider、different? this. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I didn't even consider this because he is. Every time they would do a season and they would put their like, artwork up, like Season of the Drifter, you know, had, had the Drifter hanging there. And then I forget who was, who was the one for Opulence. Was it Werner? Was it the robot? I think it was. Probably、um, it was Werner, yeah. Yeah. So the fact that the artwork, when they do like, those paintings, the fact that the painting is of Spider,、um, I think you're right. I think he'll become the central NPC because I don't think they're going to turn Aldrin Crow. I don't think they're going to turn Crow or Osiris into、no. an NPC. They'll probably funnel it all through.、Um, they're going to funnel it all through Spider. And that'd be kind of cool because I actually kind of liked that. I thought the bounties were cool, except for the HVT ones. Those ones can burn in a fire.、Um, yeah. But the rest of his wanted bounties, I kind of like that. Like going out on a mission and fighting like a, a, a pretty tough boss. Yeah. Like, I can. I can. See them doing outlaw, like taking away the HVTs, because, like, 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 chat knows I've been listening to your old content、mm-hmm. and hearing you complain about the HVTs was kind of hilarious sometimes, but also kind of like, yeah, I, I understand your pain. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was back when that was、uh, a great thing to do every day for with enhancement cores, right?、Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also, hated that. So, in the TWAP, they said that with the materials from the plants that are leaving, are still going to stick around. And then, once the next season is over, you'll get a small amount of glimmer from Spider if you haven't、mm-hmm. like, spent it them all. How do、yes. you think? Do you think he's still going to be a, like a. Like a Destination vendor or like destination material vendor or something different?、Uh, I think he'll be I think he'll be both. I think he'll, like, he'll have the bounties updated, kind of like what we just talked about.、Mm-hmm. But I also think he'll be that cool source of、uh, currency exchange.、Um, so I, I think that、uh, they're going to continue using him from that because they said like, he's going to be, a, it's, it's gonna be different, right? They're, they're changing his exchange rate on some, on some things. So I think that's,、right. that's going to be maintained. Yeah.、Uh, one last thing I'd like to ask about or talk, comment about is the. You're watching the trailer, was about that one room. You were talking about that、yep. we think is, might be the strike or something、mm-hmm. else. Like, so, considering it says strike opens,、uh, thinking at it from like a military aspect,、mm-hmm. the strike is typically something that you do to take out like an enemy commander or an outpost.、Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just that's how we'll meet some of the lieutenants. Through that room. Or it could be something completely different. I could be completely wrong. I, no, think it's, I think it's clear from the calendar that the lieutenants are tied to the Empire Hunts because there's a lieutenant in that picture.、Um, right. I think the Glassway Strike is, is something 
different. I don't think that's a strike. That is the weirdest way for them to say a, a, a strike is being added to the game. Like, I, yeah, I thought so too. This is why, why? Because you were talking about it too, and chat was talking about it as well. Like, they haven't specifically pointed out strikes saying opening since the corrupted and corrupted is a fine strike but nothing really special about it you know so why would they specifically point out that this is opening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and and seems intentionally misleading right says creature that I'm telling yeah. you yes I think this is I don't know they're being mysterious on purpose like I think it's cheeky I just I don't know because it yeah. says seasonal artifact reward track unlocks empire hunts begin the glassway strike opens I that there's plenty of other things they could have put there that they don't need to put that there like I don't think it's filler like oh let's make sure and put the strike on there if that is literally the new strike that comes with beyond light and they That'll put that on the counter yeah, you've never done that before. A strike's always listed as a new strike bullet point, not like this. Yeah. And the fact that it has the uh, Beyond Light emblem next to it mm-hmm. also is pretty clear indication that it's probably not the new strike, but it's probably going to be some kind of, maybe like a seasonal thing, maybe? Like, like, a, like a blind well kind of thing, maybe? But yeah, better than blind well because blind well is kind of not very interesting, and the fact that you have to buy things from Petra in order to initiate it is mm-hmm. kind of a nuisance. And and somebody's good to point this out. It does say new strike added to playlist under free to all players, but some people have said that could be the Cosmodrome strike. Because and I, I personally right. don't think that the Cosmodrome strike is landing day one. I think they're adding it later. I don't no, know if they I said that, but that's that. that's a hunch that I have. I don't think they're actually adding. I think the new strike added the playlist listed there is the Europa strike. I think the Cosmodrome strike is actually coming later. I don't think it's coming day one. Yeah. So it's just very interesting, and it'll be cool to see because it's coming on the first day. So there's a very good chance that, you know, someone will figure it out very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to jump in and see what it is. And, uh, same thing with empire, uh, empire hunts. I think those are the two, those are my two question marks. What are those? Are those content loop and then uncover Europa's secrets has an end date. What does that mean? You know, it ends on January the 12th and that's a reset day. So that could be something that leads to a dungeon and they're keeping it secret. You know, we don't know. I really hope the Empire Hunts become a loopable thing. Like, you know, the Baron fights were pretty awesome, like you were saying. And we only did it once, and unless you were doing the Flashpoint. And even then, it was only one out of the five or six, which I already where they were. And it was often the, a boring one. Like, the little trickster was cool, but it was, the Mindbender, kind of lame. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it was so random which one you would get if you had a preferred one or the triumph, if you had one, if you had to, you know, explode the five engrams with a single fake engram triumph. And it wasn't that weak and you had to wait a whole nother, like what, a month or so, whatever, for it to come back around. And then 
if you if you didn't get it, like the first time around, you know. So I'm hoping it's not like that. I I also want to say the Glassway Strike, like as a as a phrase or a title, people are like, well, it's a strike, it's a strike. They're using the word strike. That's not typically how they refer to strikes. They'll say new strike, mm-hmm. and then they'll call it you know the corrupted. The Glassway right. Strike is like a title. It's like a, it's putting like a, significance on it. Yeah, it's like a thing. It's like I don't. I, they've they've always done new new strike colon, and then they have like the title of the strike. It just seems like something else. It's like an official title or an area or something, and it's going to open. Um, yeah, I, to, a strike doesn't open. That, that that's not even that's not how they refer to strikes either. Strikes get added. They get that, right. you see what I mean. It's not a phrase they've ever used before. So yeah, so it's a, a lot of a lot of cool things potentially coming, and hopefully it doesn't get to you know crunched up and just stuff that is easily just blown through in a day you know yeah that'd be kind of disappointing but anyway all right so man that, thanks that's all i had and okay know, great stream you know great to see your back to your old numbers and all that good stuff bro thanks brother i appreciate that mm-hmm all right, I'm going to move on to our last caller of the day. And I'm going to do a mute, and then i got to do an unmute. Eric Core, hopefully I'm saying that right, Eric Core says, Returning that's, that's D1s. Right. I got it right? Okay, cool. Returning D1 strikes. Elaborate on uh, on this topic for me. Um, so when I was watching the Vidoc, um, I noticed in one of the scenes, it has the missions like the mission uh, update on the left and the area seemed very familiar to me and it, it's that area is the same one for the omnigal strike uh it shows it in the it's showing off the warlock gauntlet the new exotic mm-hmm. and um it seems like it's been completely renamed because it's called the disgrace and it, like has different uh mission steps and everything do you think that these strikes will be completely different in the same locations, or do you think that they'll be more of a rename and reskin of the enemies to give them a nostalgia-like feel? Hmm. Yeah, um, I would I would err on the side of the second part that you said. The latter would be more of a reskin, lot of lot of nostalgic, you know, rename some of it. I I think there will be some surprises and some differences, but. I, yeah, I do think they're going to keep things pretty much samey. I mean, I, obviously, Omnigal is not going to come walking out. Neither is Sepix Perfected. Um, well, Sepix Perfected could still be down there. I mean, Siva could just keep regenerating him, I guess, according to the lore. Um, oh, you've got a... I, I took a screenshot of it. Yeah, it's the Disgrace, and it says Defeat, defeat Novada. Um, and is that... That section you're saying is which should be Omnigal. That's where you think he is. Yes, like climbing. I, the- I remember that area pretty well from doing that it's, nightfall on D1, the, and that, that's that little hill. It's the hill climb, right? That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it's the hill climb because that's where we farmed her for the two blues before they patched it. Because you could kill her down there. Remember, like I remember that. That was a, that was a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The two blue farm, and then uh, then it turned into the the grass farm, and then they patched it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, different boss name, uh, you know, uh, Nevada, and it's called the Disgraced, 
but looks like similar enemies, right? They just got done right. killing some thrall. I see the exploder thrall peeking out where he usually comes from. Um, so, yeah, I would think it's going to be the latter that you described. Pretty much similar, same enemies, renamed, but basically the same strike. And, um, oh, that's the first strike coming back. That's right. It's not the Devil's, Devil's Lair. It's it's Omnigal's strike. Uh, I went and uh, double-checked that on the, the DCV page, and it said that the Will of Crota strike is the first one that's getting remade. I can't see that being the new strike added to playlist. I really can't. That would be... Well, you know... It free to all players, they could be like, well, no, we're we're adding a new strike to the playlist. It's not there right now. It is new in essence. So I mean, I I don't know everything else new though, like because it says new Cosmodrome experience, and then everything else is new is actually new. So if new strike added the playlist is literally Will of Crota, I don't know. I think people are gonna be a little irritated. That's a new hand cannon. Oh, is it? It looks like a better Devils. I don't know. It's a it's layer and saber, right? Yeah, it'll be this one, Devil's Layer, and then Saber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, I think, mm, is it in that order? I can't remember. Uh, it just all all it said on the DCV page is that Fallen Saber and uh, that one will be added in a future season. It doesn't give you which one's coming back first. Yeah, and that kind of gives credence to my thought that they might be using the seasons to me more of a bullstring and that might be maybe where we get some new weaponry in the vendors and stuff because they did say in future seasons they want to add adept weapons to strike so they could be saving some of that for seasons to make them a bit more of a of, of a stout offering and not have you know like worthy and arrivals were pretty thin so yeah yeah I, I, I think the returning D1 strikes will probably land in like a happy medium and if if that's right, then I don't think New Strike added the playlist is referring to Will of Crota. I think that's referring to the Europa Strike. I, that would be kind of weird for them to to claim that. that. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what Third's saying. He's saying these are the only hand cannons that currently roll swash. So it's 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 a better Devil's model that rolls with swash. Maybe it's a reissued better Devil's. And if it has new perks available, then that's our answer to the reissuing situation, right? Like, they said that if a gun was reissued, it would have new perks. So it's possible that it's a better Devils. But they've reused that model, too. They reused it for the service revolver, didn't they, for the the Vanguard gun? So it could be a a, a new uh, model. How do you think this would fit in with the story, whether it would be a reskin or a completely new strike? Their uh, Shawhan and his fire team are investigating what the Hive are doing on the Cosmodrome, and I bet you they 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 rope this strike into that, and that's probably part of the tutorial for new players. That's that would be my guess. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, because when they describe Shawhan, they say like you run into him or whatever, and he's with his fire team investigating what the Hive are doing, and more than likely that's that's what that's tied to that that person's name, the Savit Savit whatever. Um, wait. That could be. Nevota. It's. Oh no, it's not Sava. It's Navota. Yeah, Navota is probably. I bet you that's the. They take you on that strike as like a. Here's what a strike is like. Do you do you think the other returning strikes like Saber and Devil's Lair will get this same treatment where it's kind of like a just a reskin and nostalgia like feel? 
I think so, and then they would probably have some story elements tied to it. Uh, be- so you could essentially have like the like Crow and Osiris are sending us to parts of the Dreaming City. At the very least, we know that's one area where the Wrathborn is showing up. You could do a similar thing, right? Have a little campaign tied to Season 13. And let's just say it uh, is picked up by Shawhan. Maybe they let him kind of take center stage. And he's like, we've got some problems on the Cosmodrome. And that's the, and then there's, the strike is tied to that. You know, this this faction's moved into the Devil's Lair, and we're gonna have to go in and, and get rid of them. And then that's tied. That's like your campaign springboard. And then you and then you have an activity that's that's taking place on the Cosmodrome. That to me might be why Cosmodrome's not getting a lot of love in Beyond Light. It seems like it's mainly there for new players, and then they could invest in it later. It's possible. Uh, it's possible why they've um, the why they're they're seemingly not doing a whole lot with it. Uh, Navuda could be tied to Ziva or Wrath in the seasonal content. That is also true, but I, I, I'm going to go with my original prediction because we know that Shaw Hand takes you through all of the basic things of the game, and he, if he's investigating what the Hive are doing on the Cosmodrome, I think it makes more sense that they would do that. Now, now, keep in mind, you could also be right, and Shaw Hand is giving you a little appetizer to, oh yeah, there's seasonal content right now, and then that's a, that's a way to get people to maybe try to get them to buy the ten dollar. They're like, oh, d- there's something else going on here. It's called this Wrathborn thing, but it's an optional seasonal purchase, and that's like the springboard intro to it. I don't know if they'd want to do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, what are you going to do in a year? You'd have to upgrade the tutorial because that seasonal stuff will be gone when Witch Queen comes around. The 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 Wrathborn stuff would be gone. So I don't think they would tie it to it. I think it'll just always be this sort of. We we're stationed here to keep the hive at bay, blah blah blah, and then the tutorial just stays static for the next couple of years. So, all right, well, right. that's all I had. Okay, no, that so was good. That's me. good to think about. Yeah, I didn't even look at that screenshot before. I didn't know that, so thanks for sharing that. It was like the first time I watched it, it just caught my eye. I'm like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. that area is so familiar to me. Yeah, yeah, I completely missed it. So I was glad to glad to have that share. We now know the name of the strike and the and the boss apparently. So cool. All right, thank you everybody who called in today. The four VIP callers. It was Na Painter, Light Leap, King Keys, and Ericor. Appreciate you guys so so much. If you want to take part in these, all you gotta do is be a VIP. So just click the join button and pick that tier. Uh, the free thing to do is to click subscribe and the like button. I that that is an easy way to support us here. It's totally free to subscribe. This is primarily a live channel, so I'm not gonna overwhelm your sub feed. Uh, and there is a VIP fight night tonight, so that's another benefit of being a VIP. We're gonna be playing some Jackbox tonight. The audience can participate, but VIPs can play. So don't go anywhere. We're not shutting the stream down. But if you're listening to this recording elsewhere, please like, share and subscribe.